Well, open your Bibles to the book of James. We're not going to be here long this evening. We turn to James this morning to help us see how to live a grace-filled life in the, the new year. And we said this morning we all need grace. And James helps us see that it comes to those who, who humble themselves before the Lord. In James chapter 4, verse 10, he, the very last imperative that he gives in this, in this list uh, is similar to the first one. In verse 7, you have the first imperative, submit to God, therefore submit yourselves to God. And, and then in verse 10, humble yourselves in the, in the, in the sight of the, of the Lord. He says in that same passage, actually right before that, God gives more grace. Therefore, he says in verse 6, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the, to the humble. He's echoing that same concept or the same point in verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will exalt you. He will, he will lift you up. You, you submit yourself to the ways of the Lord, to the Lordship of, of Christ. And, and God, will, God will exalt you. And he gives grace. That exaltation is grace for, for, daily, for daily living. And we all need grace and Yet it's the humble that those that humble themselves before the Lord that receive it. And he, he goes on in, in verses 11 through chapter 5, verse, verse 6, and, and talks about three areas that, that we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. Three areas that we submit our lives to the, to the, to the Lordship of Christ. And it's our treatment of, of others, our planning, how we plan, we go about our... Our, our daily lives, and then our resources, how we, how we use them. And, and you, you actually have uh, um, what not to do in, in treatment of others, what not to do in your planning, and what not to do with your, with your resources. So I would say, if, as I was thinking in, in preparation for this evening, if, if, if you had the ability to evaluate your life properly... And we were told this morning that we can't do that. The Lord, he, there's one lawgiver who's capable of, of rendering a righteous judgment. But if, but if we would look at how each of us handles these three areas, you probably get a pretty good picture of what, what a person is truly like. If you could get a, a true evaluation of how you treat other people, you get a clear evaluation of how you go about your planning, how you go about setting the direction, course of your life, your business, your, your work, your home, whatever it might be. And then how you use your resources, you would find out pretty quickly whether you are a person who lives and submits themselves to, to the Lordship of Christ or, or a person who's self-sufficient. Whereas James says, one who operates by spiritual wisdom versus one who operates by worldly wisdom. A, a proud person versus a, a humble person. And, and he really even goes back farther than that and says, someone who has a, a living faith, faith that is alive rather than, rather than, rather than, than dead faith. And if we engage, as, as James tells us here in in arrogant appraisals of, of others, in presumptuous planning, or we squander resources, James said we should not expect a grace-filled life because we've actually cut ourselves off from the very source. We've, we've resisted 
we've resisted God and therefore he, he resists us. But, on the flip side, if we submit our lives to the Lord, then we find grace for every trial and, and, and every day. And, and that's obviously um, what, we, what we all need. So we said this morning, we're looking at how to live a, a grace-filled life in these three arenas or these three areas. And um, how we treat others in verses 11 and 12, how you plan your days in verses 13 through 17, and how you use your things. If we looked this morning and covered verses 11 and 12, we should treat others with the same grace that, that, that we need. He, he, he says, don't make arrogant appraisals. He, he starts with, with the position. The person changes the position from being beside a brother to presiding over them, to violating the law, judging the law, to, viol- to violating the law itself, to assuming the position of, of God. In verse 13 through 17, he draws our attention on how we plan our days, how we, how we plan. This, this is probably, this, these next uh, four verses, what drew my attention to this passage for a 2014 message. Because it talks about planning. And usually at the end of the year, at the beginning of the year, I'm thinking about, okay, how did I blow it in 2013? And what do I want to accomplish in 2014 in a number of different areas of, of, my, of, my, of my life? And so James has some specific things to say to us about that. So let's read verse 13 through 17. And we'll, we'll look at the passage. He says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you don't know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even, it's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is, is evil. Therefore, to him who who knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. And we're not going to cover verse 17 because that's a, that's a link, a bridge, a transition between, between boasting about tomorrow and then, and then your possessions. So we'll cover verse 17 on, on Sunday. But I think it's very clear as you listen to this passage, this talks about planning. This is, this is talking about planning. And I hope you do plan. I, I, I really do. Uh, some of you are probably wired to do that. Some of you... Uh, may not be, but I hope you plan. I hope you've already thought about spiritual goals for 2014. I hope you are thinking about what you hope that God would accomplish in, in the areas of your life, the sanctification that, that you might need. I hope you've done the same thing in your home. I hope you've done the same thing in, in your job or your business or your Sunday school class or the spiritual responsibilities that you have at Timberlake. I hope you planned uh, how your how you're going to give in 2014, uh, different from 2013. Planning is a good thing. This passage is, does not speak against planning. As, in fact, as you look at the Bible, God is a planner, isn't He? I mean, he, He's planned. He has a plan of salvation. He planned for you. He says that there's even a book in which all of your days are already written down. Um, God is a, is a, is a plan, planner. He's future plans. For you, and, and they're good. They're uh, they're 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 not bad. And and from that standpoint, we we should emulate the Lord. We should be planners. In fact, you're even commanded in the book of Proverbs to 
to observe even how God has instilled the idea of planning in, uh, in, in creation. When you think of the proverb that I'm thinking of, go to the ant, you, you sluggard, right? Look at how God has made even the, the insects. The ant who has no chief, has no officer, he prepares or she prepares her food in the summer and gathers her portion in the harvest. Whenever I get uh, get back from the TCS trip for in uh, in in China, uh, we're going to go back into the foundation series. And in the foundation series, the next one on the on the list is Joseph. And Joseph is praised for his ability to plan, his ability to ad- administrate. I mean, he saves all of Egypt, and ultimately, God uses Jacob or God uses Joseph, I should say, in order, to, in order to rescue Israel because he plans, based upon the dream, the seven fat years for the seven lean years. Planning in, the, in this passage is, is not the problem. It's presumption. It's presumptuous planning. That's what the problem is. Planning that forgets our weakness and, and forgets God's provision. It forgets who we are, our makeup, and it also forgets the provision that God has that God has, has promised to make. So, the second area that James calls our attention to is, is how we plan plan our days. And James says, proud, presumptuous living is living that denies the lordship of Christ. And so, if you want to do the opposite of that, you you, you live freely under the Lordship of Christ, relying upon the daily grace that God provides, not, the, not your own strength. He, he encourages planning. It's that we don't trust in our plans. We trust in the Lord. He rebukes them not just, uh, not just for self-confidence, but self-confidence in pursuing their goals and, and disregarding the Lordship of, of Christ. Look at verse 13 and 14, because here he, he talks about how a proud person acts like a functional atheist in their planning. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. Here's a person who in their planning is acting, acting like a functional atheist. They're making decisions. Today and tomorrow we're going to go do this and we're going to do that, and this is what's going to happen. Just presuming. And then in verses 15 and 16, this same proud person presumes by, by denying God's providence in their planning. Look at verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. It's whatever God's going to bring in your life. It's, it's, it's providence. The Lord does have a will, and the Lord will be active in your life. You may not know what that is. You may not know what it's going to be before it unfolds, but you live in dependence upon that. But you don't do that, he says in verse 16. You boast in, in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil, he says. Do you think of planning without... Considering God as evil, the Bible says this, planning 
in a way, in whatever area of your life it is, without considering the Lord, without your heart being submitted to, to Him? James says it's, it's evil. Now, the word to presume means to take for granted. Uh, it, it, one of the things that we prayed as, as pastors in, in our staff meetings and otherwise uh, toward, through the month of December, whenever it came to uh, the, uh, uh, the Christmas offering, was we, we said over and over, we don't want to presume upon the Lord. The, the Lord has always provided for whatever the needs of, of Timberlake Baptist Church. He's provided for any mission needs. We, we, we firmly believe this is what the Lord was leading us to do, but we don't want to presume upon the Lord. And, and, and if God has done, uh, if God has met every need and every goal in the past, it's easy to go, oh, he'll just, you know, he'll meet it again. And to presume means to take for granted. And you don't want to take the Lord for, for granted. It's, it's to presume means to, to proceed with self-assurance. And here it's, it's doing that toward, toward the Lordship of Christ. Look at the words that he uses in verse, uh, verse 13. He says, come now you who say. So, so here he goes back to speech revealing an attitude. Their attitude is, is you who say, uh, we will go to such and such a city. We'll go to this city. We'll, we will spend a year there. We will buy and sell. We will make a profit. Do you hear presumption in that? I mean, they're declaring ahead of time what... What's going, to, what's going to happen? They're not planning to go to, to a city. They're not planning to spend a, to a year there. We're not planning to buy and sell. They're not planning to make a profit. That We will. This is what we're going to do. Doug Moo said that there are basically three types of, of merchants that would, have, that would have fallen within this category of, 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 of individual here. There were mariners. There were caravan traders. And then there were those who were engaged in, in domestic and, and foreign trade. So there are people on the water. There are people who are carrying goods in a, in a caravan. And then there were people who were buying and selling with, within one another, uh, with, with, within their city, and then, and then between uh, towns. The use of, of we'll go to such and such a city... Um, that's the idea of, of getting a map out and looking at the map, saying we're going we're gonna to go to such and such a city, we're going to go to this city, and, and uh, it pictures them brimming with confidence. You know, we're going to go to this city, and, and we're, we're going to do this here, and we're going to make a profit there. That's the idea. Every, every detail is laid out in these first uh, few, few verses. They define who, what, when, where, and how. Who's going to go? We will. When? We're going to spend a year, basically do a year there. How? We're going to buy and sell. What? We're going to make a profit. Pictures of an astute businessman who's always alert and looking for a way to, to make a profit. The problem's not what they include. I think, as far as good planning is concerned, all of those things ought to be in there. You know, here's the time period in which you're going to engage in business. Here's the target area that you're going to you're going to go to, here's who's going to go, here's what you hope to do, you're going to buy and sell. The problem is not what they include, it's what they leave out. Look at verse 13. The end of it, we'll go to such and such city and spend a year there. I'm sorry, verse 14. 
Whereas you don't know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then and then vanishes away. I mean, there's what they left out of their planning. It's not what they included. It's what they left out. They they forget their their own ignorance in in their planning. While all of these items of who, what, when, where, and how are, are necessary in good planning, they're, they're forgetting that they don't know what's coming. He's saying you, you, you put your trust in your plans, you speak so presumptuously, you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. How are you going to know what's going to happen at the end of a year or a whole year? You're ignorant. We're ignorant. I mean, we, we make plans. We hope those plans are, are fulfilled, but we really don't know what's going to happen with, with, with those plans. As you draws their attention to their ignorance, whereas you do not know, you are ignorant of what will happen tomorrow. You don't know what will happen tomorrow. And then he, they forget in their planning, they leave out in their planning their frailty, their own frailty. Look at verse 14. You don't know what's going to happen. There's your ignorance. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. They forget about their ignorance. They forget about their, their frailty. It says we will spend a year... They take for granted as if they had a whole year at uh, their disposal. You boast of business for a year, your life is frail. It appears for a little while and then vanishes, vanishes away. That, that the idea there of, of it's even a vapor is a, is a very vivid picture of how transient life is. It's, it's like a water vapor. Your life is like a, like a water vapor. It's so wispy that you can see through it and even then it only lasts for for a little a little while and the bible over and over reminds us that our lives are are frail psalm 102 verse 11 describes our lives like an evening shadow one of the things that uh that changes at at our house this time of of year is uh when the leaves fall off the trees, is, is it allows a lot of sun to come in uh, the, the back windows of, of our home. And it, it shines right in on, the, on the, the breakfast table to the point that you can't even hardly eat there because, I mean, you're eating and it's like, it's like blinding you. It's not, a, it's not a problem. Things change and you, you go toward the evening and, and if, if you go to the beach and you like to to watch the sunset. I mean, literally, you can watch it and then you turn away and answer a question and you look back and it's gone, isn't it? Psalm 102 describes our lives like, like an evening shadow. Job 7, 7 says it's like, it's like breath on a cold morning. Psalm 103, verse 15, God reminding us of our frailty says, your life is like grass that greens and then is scorched in the in the sun. And God reminds us of this so we won't trust in our strength, in our own strength. The idea of this planner, he's trusting in his strength. He said you're, you're one phone call away from everything changing. And really, we're not one phone call away from everything changing. We're one phone call away of re- being reminded of how frail life is, right? I mean, Pastor Tim and I were talking on the on the phone last week about something uh, something completely different, and he knew he'd been praying for Tracy's mom, and knew that I wasn't here, and uh, and he said, um, 
Well, you already got uh, you already got your sermon prepared. You you're, you were ready to preach on Sunday because you know we left Saturday morning. I said, yeah, you know I was, and and uh, he said, well, well then you're already ready for next Sunday. And I was like, no, you know it was it was related to Christmas. It was tra- tracing the Christmas story uh, from from Matthew through uh, through Luke and looking at what happened after Christmas. And by the time I get back, it it will it will it will be over. But I was planning on being here. I already I'd already done all of the the labor in the text for for the for the sermon, but we got a phone call that that reminded us of how frail our life is, and then everything changed. How foolish then it would be to trust in ourselves and our lives rather than the unchanging God and the promise of of provision. So planning here is not the problem; it's planning that forgets our ignorance planning that forgets our frailty, and it's planning that forgets our dependence upon God. Look at verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, okay? He doesn't say don't plan. He says, planning forgets our ignorance and planning that forgets our frailty. Instead, you shouldn't plan like that. You should plan like this. Instead, you ought to say, not we'll go to such and such a city, but if the Lord wills. We shall live and, and do this and, and, and that. Here's how you got to approach your planning. We will live and, and we will do this or that. Our, our frailty and our ignorance ought to lead us to confidence or to conclude that we should depend upon God. Now this, if the Lord wills, is, is not like an incantation. Um, it's not like the statement in Jesus' name. It's not like something that you need to add on. It's it's not like when you write a business plan for for your your company or you uh, you you write a you know some spiritual goals for your home or or for your Sunday school class that that you ought to just write at the end of everything if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills. It's a it's a perspective. There's nothing magical about the word saying Lord willing. It's the attitude of the heart. It's it's your perspective. And a believer lives under the, under the Lordship of Christ. He recognizes that every breath is in God's hands. He only lives if God wills it, much less will he find success in business unless the Lord is, is in it. And here, I think, is where you can really see the, the practical atheism coming in. James is saying for those who come to faith, it's it's not possible just to express dependence upon God on Sunday. He's saying you need to express dependence upon God every day because you don't know even what tomorrow is going to bring. You don't just express dependence upon God in planning in your Sunday school class. You express dependence upon God in in going to work and in and what you are doing in your home. It's, you don't express dependence upon God on Sunday and then disregard the Lord's Lordship the rest of the week. Whether you live for God really shows up in your planning. Um, you can't profess to love the Lord and then work and plan or even play without God in the mix. Um, as if He's in a box over here. He's, he's part of life. He's, he should be first and foremost in everything you do. Whatsoever you do, do all to the 
glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, down to the most mundane things of life. So surely, if eating and drinking, what we have to, what we have to do to survive is to be done for the glory of God, then surely planning would be done for the, for the glory of, of, of God. I can recall uh, when we did church camps, piling on to the story I gave you this morning about a drama that the youth would, would do where Jesus is like a silent figure in a, in a room. And here's a, a young man who comes to, uh, to profess faith in, in Christ. And, and when he does, it, this, this person who plays Jesus goes everywhere with, with the guy. You know, it's like he, like he sticks with him. And everywhere he goes, and, and the drama is about the guy going in different places, and Jesus is kind of like right there, Right there beside him, and 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 there were there's even some uncomfortable moments like where the where the guy answers the phone, the, the young man answers the phone, and it's one of his buddies, and one of his buddies starts talking uh, in an off color way or saying some things, you know. And Jesus is standing right here. It's given the idea that he's listening, and you know the guy wants to kind of turn the phone over to this way to to, to it's very awkward and uncomfortable for him. And um, he puts his hand over the phone and says, "You know, Jesus, this is kind of personal. Could you could you give us a moment here? You know." And um, of course, uh, he doesn't leave, and, and the scene escalates to where uh, the boy wants to go out with these same buddies and do some of the things that he used to do before drinking or whatever it is. And and Jesus follows him. He won't he won't stay back. He's like, you know. Just hang here. I'm going out with the buddies for my buddies for a while. I'll be back, and you know we'll, we'll we'll talk again. And he gets up to leave, and Jesus follows him. And uh, and the punchline, if you will, in the drama is the boy gets upset, and and he's he's he says you you just you need to stay, and and he uh, nails Jesus to 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 the wall as. In, in the in the you know idea of the cross, and I'm not sure about the all the theology in that uh, in that uh, drama or or skit, but but the point is 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 clear, a smashing. You can't claim Christ and then keep him in the church. You can't claim Christ and then only keep him in a certain compartment of. Of your life, he's he's Lord of all of your life and all that you do and all that you have and all that you plan. Or he's not Lord at all. That's what James is trying to to show us here. He's Lord in the way that we treat one another, and he's Lord in the way that we plan our days. And um, so, how should you plan? You don't want to plan for getting your ignorance. You don't want to you don't want to plan for getting your frailty. You don't want to plan. Do want to plan depending upon God? Um, I think you should plan, be diligent, and then dedicate your plans to God. Daniel Dorian told of a businessman who said, "I could retire, but I'm working for a few more years because I hope to have more to give to to the gospel gospel work." Here's a man who planned his life. But he did it in a way that submitted to the Lordship of Christ. It, he dedicated his plans to God. He said, I hope I could retire, but I'm working a few more years because I hope to 
have more to give. It's, it's an idea of you should plan by dedicating your plans to, to God, to His purposes. I mean, what's the, what's the purpose of buying and selling if, if it doesn't connect to the Lord in some way? You're ultimately not going to use it for, for kingdom purposes. Um, after you dedicate your plans to the Lord, I think you should confess your need of, of God's favor. Lord, I've, I've laid these plans. I've dedicated these plans to You. I am a believer, and so everything that I do ultimately connects to You in, in some way. And I've done my best. I've been diligent to plan. But I confess I need Your favor. I need You to, to take what little bit I'm offering You and, and make it happen. Planners who are not presumptuous know that they could do everything right and still fail. Have you ever done everything right and still failed? The Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, we what? That's right. Labor in vain. It's vain to rise up rise up early and, and stay up late. I mean, you should get yourself out of bed in the morning. You should get a good night's sleep. You... He's not saying, you know, ah, oh, just laissez-faire, just kind of, you know, whatever. God's in control. It's going to happen. He's not saying that. He's saying be diligent. He's saying, but, but, but you're unless the Lord's in it, it doesn't matter whether you get up or whether you stay up late, or whether you work seven days a week, twenty-four hours a day. It, it, you confess you need God's favor. We plan, and then we say, if the Lord wills, I need your favor. I need you to to ultimately fulfill that. And whatever you want, Lord, is what I want. So you dedicate your plans to God, you confess your your need for God's favor, and then you remind yourself that whatever you achieve is is ultimately through the grace of God anyway. Um, When I put together a plan, I dedicate it to the Lord. I confess my need for the Lord to ultimately bring all the pieces together. And I remind myself that, that whatever, whatever I achieve, whatever is achieved is ultimately the grace of God anyway. You know, no matter how you break it down, you, you will find something that you have to give thanks to God for. The hardworking athlete gives thanks to God for, for their gifts. Gives thanks to God for their for the ability to to work hard. The successful businessman gives thanks to God for the opportunities that are there, the the mind that he has, the the hands. The victorious politician gives thanks to to the Lord. You acknowledge that even our best efforts must be blessed by the Lord, and we all. Have God to thank for every breath that we take, so we should be humble men and women. The Lord doesn't have to allow us to take the next breath, does He? Because our life is just like a vapor. It's like a water vapor that you can even see through and appears and then vanishes away. Our lives are, we don't even know what tomorrow's going to bring. And we don't know what's, whether today is our last day or not. But whatever days we have, we should plan diligently under the Lordship of Christ, not presume and trust the Lord in, in that way. Amen?
I want to invite the deacons to come up if they would, and we'll prepare for for the Lord's table. When you get up here, gentlemen, you can just remain standing and going to ask everyone to bow their heads and this is an opportunity for you to prepare your heart. Just prepare yourself for this moment. You want to partake the Lord's table presumptuously. Maybe something in the message tonight, maybe this morning, maybe something else. You just need to say, Lord, uh, I confess to you that I am frail. Confess to you that I am ignorant. I humble myself before you. That's your part. The Lord's part is then pouring out His grace. He is a gracious, gracious God.